it's kind of interesting that uh, today we're going to be talking about engaging in the battle. So I thought he was going to preach my sermon for me. I was going to say stop, but but it, he he just he just set the stage. It's like an assist. Now I get a I don't know. I don't think I'm going to do any basketball moves right now. Can't hardly. I'm wincing. Okay, we're in First Peter, chapter one. You can flip over there, and I, I just have a, a thing to give up. I want to give praise that uh, last Sunday uh, was our Thanksgiving day as a family. All the kids came home and, and we all gathered under one roof, which is kind of rare these days since they're all out on their own now. And it was such a blessing. And, and the big blessing for me was that uh, my two pastors, uh, David and Chad, told me I had to stay home. <laughs> uh, I don't do that on Sundays when I'm in town. I never stay home. I don't do that. And they said, Brent, stay home and enjoy your family. And they were looking out for me. And it's just nice to know that even though sometimes I, you don't necessarily, you know, want to do those things, it was good. It was relaxing. It was, it was just a wonderful day. So, and I know that the church is in great hands. It's not like any one of us, you know, not being here messes things up. I heard Chad did a great job. Missed being with you, but we had a fantastic day. So, First Peter, we have been... Uh, in, it, there's been, I think, four different sermons now. I'm going to do a quick little recap just to kind of get everybody caught up. We'll be in verses 13 through 16 this morning. But Peter's been taking time to establish our identity as Christians in the first 12 verses of the book. If you're a Christian, you are elect or chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. God has caused you to be born again into a living hope through Jesus' work on the cross. We're told that you're being kept for an inheritance. You're being kept by God for an incorruptible inheritance that will be yours when Jesus comes back. And then last time we saw how Peter kind of explained the long journey that salvation took to find its way to you. And all of that just encourages me. We are so blessed um, to be called Christians, blessed beyond measure. And so verse 13, where we're at today, he starts out with the word, therefore, So he's saying in light of everything that Jesus has done for you and because of who you are in him, this is what should happen next. So this morning we're going to be looking at how believing in these truths that we've talked about will impact how we live. And it's important to get the order of these things absolutely correct because he doesn't say this. He doesn't say do these things so that you can enjoy a relationship with Jesus and have a great inheritance. He says, because Jesus has done all of this on your behalf, this is what your life should look like. This is the expected result. If this is true, this will happen. Sinclair Ferguson refers to this as the grammar of the gospel. If we don't get this right, we mess it all up. We go from a system of grace to a system of works in a hurry. One of the dangers of preaching, and I feel this you know, every week when you get up here to preach, is that um, I don't want to, if you guys, you know, a lot of you are burdened. You've had a, a heavy week, and you've come in like with a backpack. We've used this illustration before with like, you know, five bricks in it, and you're weighed down. And if all I do on Sunday morning is say, hey, here's five more bricks, have a great week, <laughs> that, that doesn't help you, right? And so if we only focus on the imperatives, what we're supposed to do that, that can be a weighty thing. But the other, the other thing is to ignore the imperatives. We don't want to do that either because there are, there are things the Bible tells us to do. We just need to make sure that we understand that, that those things are rooted in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Because he is our Lord, because he's done these things, now we can walk in these things. Peter's just spent 12 verses establishing who we are, and it all has to do with Christ and what he's done for us. And now he's about to get into what we do. So the source of your ability to obey is rooted in Christ. 
Apart from him, none of this is doable. And the reason that I'm mentioning this is because this, this could look like a to-do list very easily. Peter's going to mention several things for us to do, including be holy, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, sure. You know, Jesus makes us holy. That's why Peter tells us we can behave that way. So, so getting that, that order right is critical. It's also important to consider why Peter is writing these things. Like I said, he's not writing to, to weigh these guys down with a bunch of works to do, you know, or, or burden them in any way. That's what the law does. The purpose of the law is to, to, to make us realize we can't do these things. We need a savior. It's supposed to drive us to Christ. But once it's done that, the law is no longer a burden. Now it, now it leads us to life. These are things that are, are good things for us. And that's exactly what Peter is doing here. He's, he's giving us help. Because if you remember, the group of people that he's writing to are beginning to experience hostility and persecution. He's going to give them several action items to help them prepare for what's, what's coming. And as American Christians right now, we may want to pay attention to this because I don't know if you've noticed, but things are getting weird, <laughs> right? Uh, we're likely to face some, some things soon if we aren't already facing them. It seems to be kind of coming rapidly toward us right now. As those who follow Christ, we can expect to feel more and more like exiles, which is what Peter tells us we are anyway. We just haven't necessarily felt that way for a while. We're starting to feel it. And we we should start to feel the very real possibility that we're going to be excluded and ostracized from society. And those aren't things that any, any of us like. And I don't say that to, you know, it's not, it's not meant to, but the good news is we have some, some things that we can prepare for. Um, it's interesting to think that this has been the norm for most Christians throughout history. This isn't, uh, this is, it's been unusual that we've been in this spot we're in, uh, but this is quickly becoming our new normal. So the question that we have to answer is how do we live and relate to people who don't believe what we believe and who are becoming actually increasingly hostile to what we, what we teach and what the Bible teaches. Run away is my first thought, right? Just run away. Uh, get, get, you know, head to like find a monastery. I've never wanted to be a monk in my life, but that sounds nice. Just a quiet place to go and hide and be left alone. Um, but Peter doesn't, he doesn't put that on the list. So that's not an option for us. These are the five things Peter's going to give us to help us. The first one is to prepare your minds for action. The second one is to be sober-minded. Next one is to fully hope in a future grace. Don't conform to previous passions. And the last one is be holy because God is holy. And I think this passage is extremely timely for us. Um, It'll help us to prepare for what may be coming our way. And it's super important for Christians because what I've seen is that when you're not prepared for these things and they come, you can quickly get disillusioned. You can start to struggle. And, And what I've even seen is people fall away. And we're already starting to see it happen, unfortunately. So, 1 Peter 13 through 16 in chapter 1 say, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Okay, first Peter gives us two things uh, relating to our minds, which is really just like the control center of, of, of everything. 
Our minds refer to how we think. It controls our actions, our decisions, our plans, our behavior. Uh, and he's saying, prepare your minds for action. And I'll admit when I hear that, it's kind of troubling to hear. It's like, wait, what? Prepare, prepare. What am I preparing for exactly? It's like action. What does that mean? That sounds, that sounds serious, doesn't it? Prepare your minds for action. I'm more of a prepare for ease and comfort kind of guy. That's what I, you know, I can prepare for that all day long. Action sounds scary. And the actual, if you're a King James kind of person, you know that this is gird, gird your loins, uh, which is a weird phrase, but it's the idea that they used to wear these long robes. And if you had to do some work or take off running or whatever, you had to kind of wrap all that stuff up and, you know, tuck it in your belt or it wouldn't work. It's kind of like the kids with the really low jeans when they've got to run from the police. You got to gird. Just kidding. That's our nearest equivalent. I used to know a guy that would do that. He, they were so low that he had to kind of like, you know, bunch them up in his hand if he was going to run. He wasn't running from the police, but it was still funny. Gird your loins. The idea is we would say roll up your sleeves, right? The first step in preparing our mind for action is that we submit to the reality of our circumstances. We need to wrap our minds around who we are in this world and what we're called to. Because like it or not, God's word says that we are currently in a battle. There's a spiritual war waging around us. And for most of us, this can be kind of hard to accept or imagine because if we don't see it, it doesn't seem real, right? I mean, you think about how ridiculous it would be uh, if there was a battle waging for for one of the soldiers to grab like a lawn chair and put on some Bermuda shorts with some sunglasses and, you know, get a nice beverage and just go set up right out in the middle of the field and and relax. That would look really weird. And yet it, it kind of is how I feel most of the time. There's a war going on and I'm not even really acting like it's a real thing. I don't have a care in the world most of the time, and I'm I'm in a volatile environment, and it kind of freaked me out when I'm studying this passage this week to read it. You know, it wrecks me before it wrecks anybody else, and I'm thinking, wow, this describes me more than I care to admit. And the funny thing is, you know, when I think of like, I don't want action, but action is probably what I need more than anything else right now in, as far as my walk with the Lord. I mean, I appreciated what John was saying. The idea that we're engaged in a battle, we're doing something, we're, uh, we're engaging is huge. And especially during this time of social distancing and quarantine, it, it seems like we've, be, we've just gotten so far removed from that that pretty soon life just becomes ho-hum. And you watch days turn into weeks, turn into months, and it's just kind of blah. I don't like that kind of existence because God is at work all around us and he loves it when we join him. It's like, have you ever thought about that? Every day is bring your kids to work day and you're invited, right? You just show up and he's, he's already doing stuff and he wants you there with him. He doesn't need us, but he sure likes to have us. It's not like me coming to work with my dad is really going to, you know, he was, a, he was a policeman. It's not like I'm going to do anything, but it was really cool to be there. If you're serious about the things of God and you want to be used of him and you care about kingdom work, prepare your mind for action. You know, there's a sense in which, as Christians, we're behind enemy lines. I know we don't like to think of it this way, but, you know, think of it as it's not just a job, it's an adventure. You know, think of it that way. This is kind of cool stuff. It's like those movies where you've got that couple that, you know, they live in a, a nice house with a white picket fence, but they're really like spies and they have like, a, you know, a weapons arsenal in their garage, that kind of thing. That's what we're like. You know, we're, we're kind of behind enemy lines. There's people that need to be rescued and brought into God's kingdom, and we get to take part in that. That's pretty exciting to think about. Have you ever really thought about Ephesians 6, the armor passage? 
in light of that? You know, it's funny. We send the kids to the Sunday school room and, and they color a picture of a helmet and a sword and they bring it home and you're like, that's really sweet. You know, that's cute. You need that stuff. It's not meant to be cute. It's meant to help you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 starts out and says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's good. I'm not a Marine, but that's like a, you know, it's a, I'll probably do it wrong, so I won't even try, but be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is describing that spiritual war that's going on. And I want to point out who, it does, who is not the enemy. People are not the enemy. I, we, we think this way. We look out at people that are doing things different than we are, and we think they're the enemy. That's who we're fighting against. And he says, no, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. People aren't the enemy. They're the mission. They're the ones that need to be saved and rescued. And we need to have hearts of compassion, even when we don't agree with what they're doing, even when we don't like the things they post on social media, whatever. We need to have compassion for them. And remember that apart from the grace of God, that's us. Don't ever forget that. I mean, those passages that say, but such were some of you. Those are good reminders to us that that's where we would be if somebody hadn't come to rescue us behind enemy lines, if Christ hadn't come. Verse 13 goes on in Ephesians 6. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That's just a, a it ties into this passage. So when I think about preparing your mind for action, this is what it's talking about. Armoring up, getting ready, being engaged in the battle. Jesus has provided everything we need to run confidently into battle with him and to make a stand and to do some good in this world and for the kingdom. And it's exciting. I don't know if you've ever been engaged like that in somebody's life. It is it's like you don't even think about anything else. That is the greatest thing we can be doing is sharing the gospel with people, engaging people, praying for them, loving them, helping them, doing these things. Serving the king is the best job out there. So we need to prepare our minds for action, but we also need to be sober-minded. And this just means to be kind of calm and collected in spirit, not out of control. I'm, I'm sure you've all been around a drunk person before. Um, and I wasn't even going to say, you know, might have been you because you probably wouldn't be aware of what you were doing. But when you're around a drunk person, like we used to go to these uh, office things that I uh, worked for a copier company. And usually by about nine o'clock, we'd have to just go back to our room because it started to just get bad. You know, it started out good. Everybody was having fun. And then after a while, you're like, wow, they've changed completely. They're doing things, saying things. They think they have dance moves they don't have. I mean, all that kind of stuff starts to happen and it just gets weird. So you, you know, we get out of there quickly. In the same way uh, that alcohol or smoking weed or taking pills gets into your system and begins to cloud your judgment and change who you are, we have to be careful with what we fill our heads with. Some people, have you ever been somebody that just thrives on drama? 
They just seem to look for it any way they can get it. They drink up as much of it as they can, and then they suffer the effects of it, like a big drama hangover, right? They just end up filling their lives with anxiety and fear, and they try to drag you into that as well. It's just so easy to get spun out by the things we see in here today. The world wants to influence you. We can't let worldly influence or circumstances take over our mind and begin to control us. It's like, I don't know, just all I can think of is like, don't let the world slip you a Mickey. You know, that's what they, that's what they want to do. They want to like just fully take over and influence you. We have to rely on the truth of God's word and the Holy Spirit to control what we believe, which will in turn inform and control the way we live. If you want something to just dwell on and think on, Philippians 4.8 gives us something fantastic. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. That just sounds good, just reading the passage. I mean, without, and it's just like, ah, oh, it's like clean water. Yeah, I made a determination a long time ago uh, not to fill my head with too much worldly information because I saw what it was doing to me. Um, I, I, it doesn't mean I bury my head in the sand and don't ever pay attention to what's going on out there. I have an idea, but I don't just saturate myself with it because I found like as I, as I did this, I started to get angry about things I didn't even know I was supposed to be angry about. And I was mad. Like, I'm like fighting mad. I'm ready to go out and, you know, why? What good was it doing? Even today, I'm hearing so many conspiracy theories and so many ideas of what's going on and all that. And at the end of the day, just ask yourself, okay, now what? If that's all true, let's say it's all true, every bit of it. Now what? What does it change for you as a Christian? Your marching orders are the same and, and your end is the same. Jesus is coming back for you to take you into his kingdom. I know it stinks. I know we don't like some of the things that are going on, but don't let it spin you out of control. We need to be careful of how much of this stuff we consume if you want to remain sober-minded and not be controlled by it. So ask yourself, what are you filling your head with? And what are the things you're choosing to dwell on? Peter gives us an excellent target to aim at in verse 13. I'm going to read this again. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You want to fill your mind with something worthwhile? Fully hope in future grace. That means we don't have to be discouraged by what's going on around us right now because this isn't the end of the story. As Terry just pointed out, chapter 2020 of this story stinks. Worst chapter ever, right? But you know what? Skip to the end. You, you know, flip, flip over a few pages and guess what? The story gets really good. And we need to remember that. I just talked to a guy. It was kind of funny. It was this week. He was telling me that he and his wife were going to watch the, the thing about watching this television series. Uh, it's like seven seasons. And so before they invested in seven seasons, he's like, you know what? We're going to watch the last, the last episode of the series and see if like, if that's good, then we'll watch the rest. And I'm like, that's a terrible idea when it comes, when it comes to television. It's like, why? But when it comes to your Bible, it's great advice. Skip to the end, right? We know how the story ends and spoiler alert. It's really good for those who belong to Jesus and who persevere to the end. So our circumstances might not be ideal, but they're temporary. Change is coming because Jesus is coming and he's bringing all the grace with him that we need. Being exiles isn't easy. 
It's hard to be a stranger in a strange land away from our home. But I, again, I th- I'm thinking of like a soldier. Um, how, how does somebody, a soldier who's engaged in battle, keep going? How does, he, how does he make it through what he's going through? He keeps his wits about him. He stays focused on the task at hand. And he places a, his hope in what's waiting for him when he gets home. And we need to do the same thing. We have to focus on what awaits us when all of this is done. And notice that the text says to set our hope fully on the promise of grace to come, not partially, not 50-50, right? Between what you can do and what he's going to do, that, that's, that's not good. Don't diversify your hope. And I'm going to put a little bit on you know, money, insurance. I'll put a little bit over here in, in maybe relationships, maybe a little bit in the government. And then maybe I'll just add Christ to just to fill in the gaps in case I miss anything. That's a bad plan. As your spiritual advisor, that's a horrible spiritual plan. Give your whole portfolio to Jesus. Trust in him fully with everything. Anything else will leave you bankrupt. My future is secure in Christ. And that's, my, that's what I lay my head on every night. I know that he's coming. I know that his promises are real. And, and, and I'm fully setting my hope upon that. Well, then Peter gives us an example for us to follow to help us um, as far as how we're supposed to live. And, and he uses the example of obedient children. Um, has anybody ever heard of those? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I had to look it up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was not one of those. And I had five kids who sometimes were and sometimes weren't. There are two things he uses to describe obedient children. They don't live in willful disobedience. They do honor their parents with their conduct. So verse 14 says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you as holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. When you're raising children, it's your job to make sure that they know what the rules are and what's expected of them. Once that's been established, there's an expectation that they will follow those rules. There may have been a time when they didn't know any better, but once you've laid down the rules, that's over. And that's what Peter means by our former ignorance. Ignorance doesn't mean you're, you're stupid. I, you, I don't know why for a long time I always thought ignorant. Oh, you're ignorant. I thought it meant, it just means you don't know. You don't have the information. You don't have the knowledge. And if you're not a Christian, that means that um, you're morally blind. And there were plenty of things I can think of that I didn't know were wrong at all until I met Christ. I was surprised what the things that I thought were sin, only to find out later what, what really like grieved God's heart. It's kind of funny how we do that, but I learned all kinds of things as a new Christian reading my Bible going, oh, oh, oh. I mean, it's just, I'm still doing it today at, at, at times. That's to be expected before we're Christians, not, not knowing these things. But once the Holy Spirit takes up residence and illuminates God's word for us, we're no longer ignorant. If you're a child of God who has experienced his amazing goodness to you and you believe in the promise of his coming, it will affect how you live now. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you believe that God has something better for you? You know, I, I think that sometimes we read his word and we, we, we don't, we pretend like it's not a real thing. Like he's a loving father who knows what's best for us and he wants something better for us. Doing his thing, doing things his way will benefit us. So if you do believe that, trust your father and be, obe- be obedient to what he's asked you. 
And that means that it's not okay to go along with something in the world just because everybody else is. There's a lot of things that have become acceptable in our culture and the studies that they put out for the church right now that, that talk about what Christians believe and, and have rejected are just mind-blowing. I can't even believe it's a real thing. People are just taking God's word and just saying, nah, I don't have to pay attention to that anymore. That's not the case. There's cultural pressure that's, that's trying to get you to do things, but we have to bow to God's word first and foremost. We have to determine what's acceptable or not acceptable based on what he says here. That's hard, though, when you start to face hostility for what you believe. You know, it's easy to say that in theory. Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll follow this. But when, when somebody starts to come against you and say you're weird or you're wrong or you're, you know, there's a lot of good names they call us now, you know, uh, you still have to hold your ground. We can be tempted to compromise and ease up on our convictions. We can buckle under the pressure and revert back to what's comfortable and safe. We can even get discouraged and convince ourselves that obedience doesn't matter, that it doesn't, it doesn't really get us anywhere and go back to our old habits. None of that's real. None of that's true. The problem is that when we lose sight of our future hope, it's easy to revert back to those things. But, but we have to remember where those things led us. Those things, that was destruction and, and death. That wasn't, it wasn't good for us. You know, it reminds me of when I was young and I just wanted to fit in and be like everybody else. You remember that pressure when you were young to do that? This is still a real temptation for us today as Christians. And I remember arguing with my mom and I used to say to mom, everybody else is doing it. And I remember what she would say back to me. Well, you're not everybody else. And I can, I can now hear God saying the same thing. God, everybody else is doing it. I know your word says this, but everybody else is doing it. And he would say, no, Brent, you're my chosen son. You're not like everyone else. What you do matters. It reflects upon me as your dad. And that's what brings us to the last thing that Peter tells them, which is be holy because I am holy. I already mentioned this, but you read something like that and you just think, oh, is that all? No problem. You know, that's like a bird saying, hey, fly because I fly. It's like, I can't do that. That's, that's what it, it sounds like. It's, it's like God telling us to fulfill the law to perfection. That's a crushing command that I can't perform. But the good news is that Jesus did this for us. That's what the gospel message is. Jesus did this for us. He fulfilled the law perfectly and then gave us credit for it if we will believe it by faith. He makes us holy and declares us to be holy. So the difference between the commands of the gospel and the commands of the law is that we obey the commands of the gospel out of delight, whereas the commands of the law were out of duty. And you guys know the difference between those two things. One is a joy and one is a burden. Dan Doriani wrote a, a commentary on this book, and he refers to this, uh, this idea of be holy because I am holy as a call to gospel-driven holiness. It's rooted in the gospel, so it makes it doable. God, as our loving Father, has done all the work to secure our relationship with Him. Now we get to do the things that please Him as an act of worship. Vastly different. Our obedience to God matters. Just like in my relationship with my kids. I loved it when they were obedient. And I really didn't like it when they weren't. But it never changed my love for them. It never changed my acceptance of them. Jesus has secured God's love and acceptance for you. 
It also helps to understand what the word holy here refers to because it really is talking about being consecrated or set apart. God has set us apart, which means that we are to live distinctively in this world. Do you remember like the way Israel lived? They had, they had weird laws and they had to wear weird clothes and they had to have, I mean, it was just very, the rest of the world would look at it and think weird, right? They were different. They were distinct. And, and part of that was just so that people would know that these are God's people. And there's a sense in which that should be true of us as well. Um, we don't need to be weirdos just for the sake of being weird, but we should look different, act different. And, and it should be a blessing. It doesn't mean that we're better than everybody else. It doesn't mean we walk around going, well, I'm one of God's chosen people. And just, you know, look down your nose. No, it just means that we're distinct. We're different. We're his kids. And, and the rest of the world should, should see that and, and be kind of like, I don't know. It, you know how sometimes something can be a, a pleasing aroma and sometimes it, it can be something different than that. That would don't be a stench, right? Be a pleasing aroma. Doesn't mean people are always going to like it, but when we go out into the world, it should be like, oh, that's different. That's nice. That's pleasant in the way that we live our lives and the way we treat people. We have an incredible opportunity right now in our world to, to look different, to act different, to be different, to engage in what our Father is about. Right now, we've got more empty seats in, in, in here than we've had in a long time over the years. And this is an opportunity again to engage people, to talk to people to find out where their hope lies. Because I don't know, if you don't have the hope that we're talking about right now, I don't know what you have. We have that hope. We have, we have assurance of what's coming so that we don't have to freak out about this world right now. That's worth a lot to people. We need to be telling people about Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us. We need to put on the whole armor of God every day, prepare our minds for action, and live distinctly like Jesus did, and then continue to fully hope in the grace that's coming when he comes. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for the encouragement that Peter gives to these Christians who are beginning to face things that are hard. And Lord, you know that right now we're, we're kind of in that same mode. We're, we're starting to face things that we never thought we'd have to face. And Lord, it's not something we need to be upset about. It's actually a good thing because it's driving us closer to you. It's driving us more to be more engaged and to be more about kingdom work. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, use us. Use this church. Use the church in Lapine to bring more and more people to you. Help us, Father, to love the people around us, Lord. They're not the enemy. They're the mission. And, and there's people right now that are suffering that need to hear about Jesus. So use us, we pray. Uh, use this church in a mighty way. And, and make Jesus' name great through us, we ask in his name. Amen.